Hey, good people. This is your NI Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am sitting with six words in front of me that I wrote down right before hitting the record button. And those words are clustered into three groups, six words. So, The first group is relaxing and accepting. The second group, which is a standalone word, is calibrating. And the third group is discovering and acting. So these six words, relaxing, accepting, calibrating, discovering, and acting, are the words that I... I just wrote them down. I don't even know how to, I don't even know if I should start trying to explain why. Cause I, I don't, I can't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if that's necessary to do right now. And when I looked at those six words and I was trying to make sense of them, like I literally right before I hit the record button, I got this little piece of post-it note and just started writing down these six words. And then I tried to group them. Like I said, for some reason they were grouped into three clusters. And I can explain that better than I can explain the origin of these six words. But anyway, that's in front of me. I also want to tell you that I am feeling pretty scattered and conflicted. Um, There's a sense of lowness about me. I'm feeling a little low. And there's a part of me that wants to say, you don't really have a reason to be low. And then there's another part of me that's like, are you crazy? Are you kidding me? You have a lot to be low about. So I'm just feeling um, a little conflicted there. I'm, so I'm feeling low. <laughs> but um, I'm feeling a little conflicted about what that low actually is and if I should give it any attention because there's a part of me that's like, you don't really have anything to be low about. Let's get over that. we got other things to do. And then there's another part, like I said, that's like, you absolutely have things to feel low about. Why don't you just breathe for a minute and sit in that? And so, so there's that feeling of lowness. And, and then I think, I think I'm feeling all over the place. I, like I got a lot going on and and I have some big things I'm trying to figure out. And I'm here, y'all. I'm showing up this morning with my six words, my feelings, my conflicted feelings, and the randomness of my brain is all over the place, okay? So I don't know what's going to happen in this reflection. I do have a couple of books in front of me, I, but in authentically, I just need to just go. I just need to just be comfortable with just freestyling today. Like, I'm not going to give you any anger text at least not at the start. I just need to just be okay with being all over the place. So I don't know how this reflection is going to go, but I'm being really honest with you, okay? Hey, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an African-American woman. Mm-mm. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ-8. Oh, my gosh. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background 
and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited, is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right, you guys. Um, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping, but I think it's going to be housekeeping that will be an entrance point into talking about some of this unsettledness I feel and the six verbs, six words, six verbs, and um, just the scatteredness and all of it. There's just like this turmoil inside of me. Okay, so let me do a little housekeeping. I'm like, y'all, I'm really going through something right now. Okay. All right, so, um, so, hey, you, you, you all didn't really enjoy my last reflection, um, which was entitled Uppercase S, I believe, S standing for significance. And in that last week, I did a reflection talking about how to identify significant agendas versus insignificant agendas or significant actions versus insignificant actions. And I was really, really proud of last week's reflection. Personally, I was really proud of it. I have been uh, thinking for a while about this RICO law that allows prosecutors to make an, an argument about seemingly insignificant things, how those insignificant things can come together to be significant. And finally being able to articulate that, I was really proud of it. And then connecting that to what it's like to come from a space of trauma from your caregivers, particularly, we don't think about our caregivers harming us. And when we do think about caregivers that harm, we usually think about capital S significant harm, like sexual assault, physical violence. But what happens when you're engaged in that psychological harm, when it's psychological violence, it usually, it shows up as insignificant acts or lowercase significance. And when you pull all of that together, you bundle all of that lowercase significance together, you do get a uppercase significant um, finding, if you will. Like something big is happening here. When you bundle all of this lowercase, smaller things, when you bundle it together, it presents a picture of something big happening. So I was really proud of being able to just build that framework to address something that has been very difficult for me to explain. And it was freeing for me. I I really thought I did a good job explaining it. And so I was happy about that. Like what I conveyed out, I was pleased with. And I was also pleased at how how it helped me internally so I did that recording, I think, last Sunday. 
And then I moved about in a week and I felt freer. I felt lighter. I felt liberated because I wasn't trying to figure out if this thing that I'm bumping up against in terms of these little lowercase s events, I've been really wrestling with, is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Is it a big deal or not? You know, and so that reflection allowed me to go, yeah, it is a big deal. Okay. And now that I know it's a big deal, I can accept and move on accordingly, accordingly. And I don't have to spend a lot of mental energy trying to play mental gymnastics with myself. So I was really pleased with that reflection and, but it hasn't received, um, it hasn't received a lot of love. It, it It's on the level of the episode I did called the sale and that one didn't get a lot of love. I was pleased by that one. And so it, to me, it's communicating something about my listenership. And I don't fully understand yet. Like there's something about you all who listen that I don't know. I don't, I don't know why you hit the record button. Now, sometimes I think I got it. Like, I think I got it. And then I'm like, other times I'm like, well, they didn't like that. I liked it. They didn't like it. And I don't know what that's about. So for those of you who are here for no matter what, like there are a few of you who are like, no matter what. Yeah, you know, you my ride or die folks. I appreciate you. You are the reason why I'm recording this morning. Because there's a part of me, the eight part of me is like, you don't like the last one? I'm not doing another one. <laughs> really, it's ridiculous. I know. It's the lower eight, by the way. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I went to my higher eight and said, but for the people who do listen, let's go ahead and be consistent. And who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe next week we'll be down to just two. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that in this project, I remain committed to being authentic. And I remain open to whatever is going to come, you know, with that authenticity. If that authenticity just doesn't yield followership, I have to accept that. I really do. I'd rather do that than than to prostitute myself or bastardize what I'm trying to do. And uh, I just don't need to do that. I do. Sometimes we have to perform in the world. I do a lot of performing. I don't want to perform here. I don't. So. That's what you got to get. So thank you for those of you who are faithful. And those of you who um, you hit an episode and you're like, "Mm -mm, that is not it. I would love to have your feedback on that. So please do find me on your, you can contact me on my website, youranidom.wordpress.com. I think there's a contact. There is a a contact. uh, um, I don't know. is Is it a button? Is it a link menu item i don't know but there is a place where you can say contact the, the me at the website and you can do that you can also go to um twitter or x formerly known as twitter i'm still there i don't uh i don't share a lot of links there now that i'm putting links into the web to the newsletters um i'm still doing that i just haven't kicked it out um or you can find me on youtube at Uranidom. I guess you can go to Facebook, but I'm rarely there. 
So I would say the best way to reach me would be the th- those three. I would say particularly YouTube or my website. I, I'm I, I'm there pretty daily, pretty much daily. Whereas those other two, I'm not. All right. All right, you guys. So thank you for letting me do that little housekeeping. I think that that is a good way to start, though, this whole idea of how I'm feeling all over the place and feeling a little low. And then a part of me is like, you don't have a reason to be low. And then that gets said. There's another part of me that's like, you absolutely have a reason to be low. What is wrong with you? Why are you having a hard time holding on to the fact that you are in a low season? <laughs> so just be okay with that. Feel the, the lowness of it all. And I think it comes down to authenticity. Yeah. I think that's what it's coming down to. Can't how to show up in the world as authentic? I don't feel like that's what I'm struggling with, though. I don't think I'm struggling with how to show up as authentic. Mm-mm. Um, I'm sorry, you guys. This is about as authentic as um, I'm going to get because I'm really, really processing it right now in real time. So that's what that's why I'm stalling because I'm really trying to figure it out. I don't think it is about me struggling with how to show up as authentic. Maybe there would have been a time uh, what that means, but I think because of this project as one of the places of authenticity for me has been a really good mirror or an outlet for me to see what does the authentic me look like so I don't think I'm confused by that I think maybe it's about ah, okay let me just let me just linger here for a little bit I think it's about where is that authenticity best suited for the outside world. Um, I don't, I think I told you guys this. I went and had coffee with this, um, this colleague of mine. Mm, I guess it could be almost two months now. And it was really disappointing. It was disheartening. I was so excited about being able to connect with her and, when I did, I was just so let down. I was so disappointed that she wasn't what I, I guess, what I wanted her to be. Right? So she and her authentic authentic self uh, wasn't pleasing for me. I didn't enjoy it. I did not enjoy that time. Um... One of the things that she said in that we had coffee together, one of the things she said was she showed me an Instagram post about authenticity, about how we can't go into our jobs being our authentic self. Work is not a place where you can go and be authentic. And I remember being struck with, why is this lady telling me that? Like, that's kind of random. Like, this is our first time ever, actually ever meeting in person. It was our first time ever meeting in person. We knew of each other, and we probably had engaged on a social media post at some point in the last 10 years. But 
we never met. We never talked, you know. So this was our first time meeting. And I would say we were about 20 minutes. Or it was a coffee date, if you will. And we were about 20 minutes into the chat. And something, I don't, and she brings up this post. Like, oh, there was a post that came up this morning. And it was about this lady on this Instagram post saying, hey, you, you're not supposed to bring your authentic self into the workplace. And again, my, my, my reaction in the moment was like, what is the relevance here? Like, what is the function of this action? Why is she doing that? Later, and I mean later, like days later, if not weeks later, I thought to myself, what do you believe? I asked myself, what do I believe about this notion of not being able to bring your authentic self into your workspace? And I don't, I don't think I agree with it. I think that there are ways we have to navigate our authenticity, right? And I think that there might be degrees of authenticity. And I think it also challenges us, challenges us to think about what actually does that mean to be authentic? Or let me say it differently. What is your authentic self? Who are you authentically? See, until you can answer that question, what does it mean to be authentic? Who are you authentically? Then, then you can then ask that question. Can you bring that into the workspace? But I suspect in the work that I do, most of us don't even have the insight about who we are. What is our, who, how do I say it? What is our authentic self? Who are we authentically? One of the things I've been looking at, um, I, I, I would love to say I'm in a rabbit hole right now, but then because I didn't really have a clear start, <laughs> maybe this is the point of the reflection. I don't know. So I'm going to just, I'm going to hang in here. Hopefully I'll get one or two downloads. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so one of the things that I've been looking at over the past week, I think, maybe the past 10 days, is this concept called individuation. And I read from that last week. I believe individuation was, I read three articles in the episode last week. In one article, I think the third article that I read, and I didn't read all of it, but was about individuation. And in that article, and it is going to be in the um, November newsletter. It's already in a folder. It's just now the ma- a matter of me getting those links out of that folder into a document to, sh- and to excuse me, to put it on the website. That's the, the, that's where I'm at. But those links are already organized like for October and now November. So it's there. Just like I said, I got to get it to you. But um, in that article, it talked about, the author talked about Carl Jung which we know influenced the Myers-Briggs, the personality theory, that he was really big on exploring individuation. And that's fascinating to me. Like there's, there's so much about individuating that I think that I'm interested in. Oh God, I'm all over the place right now. Um, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm pushing through this reflection because I probably just want to just unplug right now, but I'm pushing through this. 
Um, he talked about, in that article, they said Carl Jung was, made this comment that we go through life. So we go through an individuation process when we hit the teens and the preteens. I think we go through an individuation process when we are toddlers. There's some place, there's some place between birth and three, I believe, where we start realizing that there is a separation between the self and the mother, our body and the mom's body, right? That's when we develop our own identity. Oh, I'm separate from this entity. But for whatever reason, that's like the autonomy stage. If you look at the, I think it's the lifespan of human development. Eric Erickson, I don't know. I'm trying to pull this out of my pocket, if you will. <laughs> I think it's Eric Erickson and the stage is called autonomy. But Carl Jung says individuation happens when we hit like that teen, those teenage years. And I think we hit it early on too. But, you know, but anyway, let's say that. So let's just say we go, we individualize when we're somewhere between birth and three, then we go through another individuation. Uh, somewhere around 12, you know, in the like 11, 12, in those teenage years, up until adult, young adulthood. And then I believe this article says that Carl Jung says that it's something that individuation is something that we should do throughout life. Because as we get older and we, we interact in the social world, we start getting all of this feedback. We get feedback, we get socialized, we get pressured into what I'm going to call the collective self. I don't think he used that term, but in one of the books that I was looking at this morning, my social psychology book, they took the self and divided it into two types. There's the individual self and then there's the, excuse me, is it the individual self or the private self? Um, yeah, it's the individual self versus the collective self. Now, Carl Jung didn't use, as far as I know, based on that article, that article did not use those two terms, individual self, collective self. I'm kind of making some connections here from the book, you know, social psychology, but 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 the article did say that Carl Jung says that as you go through life, you still should individuate because society will have will have a way of having you become something that you're really not. And I think when you look at what the collective self is, that that makes sense that you would have to continue to individuate because this collective self can take you away from your individual self. So let me read what these two terms are so you'll so you can be with me. Hold on a second. So according to this book, the individual self is the part of the self that refers to our self-knowledge, our private thoughts, and evaluations of who and what we are. That is our individual self. The collective self is that part of our self-concept that comes from our membership in groups. This collective self is reflected in thoughts such as, in my family, I'm considered the responsible, studious one. It reflects the evaluation of the self by important and specific groups to which the person belongs. 
Basic research on groups show that the groups we belong to have a strong influence on the self-concept. Our behavior is often changed by what other group members demand of us. So that's the collective self. And depending on the culture that you belong to, will determine which, we all have an uh, individual self and a collective self. We all have that. But depending on the culture that we live in, we will privilege one over the other. So if we come from a more collectivist culture, then our collective self is more important to us than our individual self. If we come from an individualistic culture, then the individual self is more important to us than our collective self. And so do you understand that? So that's really fascinating to me. And so um, I think about me often as a misfit for my culture or that I belong to different groups. I belong, I'm in a part of different cultures. This is one of the things actually I've just tapped into something that I'm having some anxiety about, some uncertainty about. Because I think culturally, as in my racial and ethnic culture, I come from a collectivist space. I think by way of my education and my occupation, I'm more individualistic. Well, which one is me? Which one is more me? And I'm not talking about collectivist self and the individualist self. I'm talking about which culture is my home base culture. Naturally, we would say my culture, my racial and ethnic culture is my home base culture because I was born into that. I'm born into the family. That family dictates the culture. Okay. I understand that. That makes complete sense to me. Except I don't spend a lot of time there. And based on some choices that my mom made, um, both healthy and unhealthy, I didn't spend a lot of time there. So on the healthy side, my mom really made sure that we were in good schools. She made sure she put us in some good schools. It's fascinating to me. I'm amazed at her ability to to do that. And not the technical aspect of getting us into good schools, but just the wherewithal, like the knowledge of that. Because I don't think that she got that from her mom. She got from her mom, education is important but not the discernment of all schools aren't equal. All schools aren't equal. All schools aren't going to give you good quality education. So getting, getting, in, getting educated is one thing, and then getting a quality education is another thing. And I'm saying that as a person that didn't go to an Ivy League school. I didn't go to Ivy League schools. I didn't. But I do believe I was in good schools. For most of my journey, <laughs> out of, you know, almost 20, 20 plus years of schooling, I believe most of that was in good school. I was in what would be, I would consider good school, good schooling. It was in, I had a high quality education. I believe that. Anyway, some of you like that begs to be 
challenged, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But anyway, um, so I don't think she got the, the discernment of all schools aren't going to give quality education. I don't think she got that from her mom, but from her mom, what she did get was get a, get educated, get educated. That's important. It's important to be educated. So earlier on from the door, I was put in good schools. I think, yeah. And that makes me feel a little sappy and a little sad because I've been kind of hard on my mom lately. <laughs> Not intentionally hard, but I've been harmed because I've been doing some truth discover, discovering some truths. And so it's, you know, it is what it is. I'm not proud of it, but I'm trying not to walk away from it because it's a part of my reality that I have to confront. But anyway, because I'm not going down that today. But um, so I think in those schools, in, in my schooling, that also translated to my neighborhood. Uh, for a significant chunk of time, I went to a neighbor. I lived in the neighborhood of one of the schools. So I got a chance that schooling, what was happening in school, trickled over into home life. When I played outside, when I went to hang out with my friends, a significant portion of that. Not all of it, though. So to me, I'm saying all of that to say that it is very possible that I am, I have two home bases. Because we spend a significant time amount of time in school especially when that school influenced my home life. So I, I, I straddle the two worlds of uh, uh, two, two, two cultures, if you will. My, the culture that my family was born into and then the culture that I was situated in by way of schooling. And then that schooling led to my occupation and then that you understand and that occupation has created a certain lifestyle um, a, certain, uh, a certain culture a certain orientation for me and so yeah and those two cultures privilege different selves so which self am I attending to if if I if it's possible, and I don't know for sure, but if it's possible for us to to control, to select and control the one that we're going to preference, the collective self versus the individual self, if we can choose it, which one am I choosing? I'm probably choosing the individual self over the collective self, probably, but I would be lying to you if I said the collective self was not a factor. I think it's what causes the confusion and the conflict. So when I started this reflection off, I was just like, I'm all over the place. I'm feeling confused, conflicted. And I think a lot of that confusion is because there's conflict between the two selves for me. I think so. Let me try to drill down a little more. So my collective self even though I don't, I don't believe I privilege this, but let me 
start here. My collective self is in a difficult space right now. I feel that I'm getting an FI sensation. That's I think that's I think I I think I'm getting to the core of what's going on for me today. So one of the things I love about the Enneagram, I I say the I say this I've been saying it, it's on record. I've been a saying I've been saying this officially since June of 2020, and I believe on in this project, and I believe I can show it in my writings, in my other podcasts. I've been saying it since 2017, excuse me, 2017, yes. That the Myers-Briggs is about our cognitive orientation, and the Enneagram shows our social orientation. Roughly, I think there's some overlap because I usually say psychosocial, but I think with the Myers-Briggs, you could also say psychocognitive. So psychocognitive orientation with the Myers-Briggs, psychosocial orientation with the uh, Enneagram, pair that down. One is, they are both psychological frameworks of the self. One leans towards the cognitive orientation. The other one leans towards the social orientation. And what I love about that's one of that's what I love about the Enneagram that I don't think the Myers Briggs taps into is it deals with the collective self because it situates the person and the personality within context to their environment, particularly when they're children, that that personality is formed in childhood based on your environment. And I do agree with that for the most part. I think that there are exceptions because I think that there are temperaments and values that we're born into. I've talked about this in season seven that if you, you, I think it's an episode where I talk about spirituality because I believe there's something that happens in the uterus, in the womb. I think that we have some kind of personality in the womb. There's something there, but I definitely believe that that conjoined with whatever happens in the environment once we are born together builds our personality. Okay. So the Enneagram really, really focuses on what was happening in our environment when we were kids and how we responded to that. Okay. So if we take that as an eight, and I want to be honest with you, one of the reasons why, one of the things I was reading this morning, let me rewind. I'm going to be a little jumpy, right? I'm going to jump around. It's going to look like I'm jumping from topic to topic. What I'm trying to do is get a little nuance. So just bear with me for a second. Forget this morning. I'm going to go to yesterday. I was walking my dogs and often I talk about being a social eight. I'm social first, self-preservation, and then sexual. So in the Enneagram, those eight, excuse me, those, there are nine types of personalities in the nine numbers in the Enneagram and each of the nine numbers deal with what's called an instinctual stack. So there are three instincts, sexual, self-preservation, and social. And how our personality 
stacks those three instincts will give nuance to our type. So as an int, my stack in terms of those instincts, the way I have come to understand it, accept it is I'm social at the top, I'm self-preservation second, I'm sexual third. That gives me a particular nuance as an eight. Another eight could be sexual first, social second, self-preservation third. So we're both eights. But there's a different, there's a flavoring difference to us. And I love that. I really, really do. I think this summer I got exposed to some research that shows that in the Myers-Briggs, there's some subtyping that happens. With four, there are four sub, um, four, I'm going to call them temperaments. I can't remember what they, what the researcher called them, but in the Myers Briggs, those four are dominance. Oh my God, what is it? Dominance. Ah. Oh. Oh my gosh, I should know this. I can see them clearly. Like one is related to dominant, specialized. Um, I call it sensory, but like formal. Um, is it formal? Is it formal? It's not formal. Normalizing, that's the word. Normalizing, and then there's another one that is... Uh, Okay, that was really bothering me. I had to go <laughs> I had to go to my one of my binders where I track all of my notes. Um and so the four subtypes in in the Myers Briggs based on this research, this new research that um definitely that I got exposed to in June is normalizing dominance, creative, and harmonizing. And I think the reason why I'm having a hard time remembering those four keywords is because as you just as you as you learn about those four, I wouldn't have used those words. So like harmonizing, I think is more like specializing. That's what I call that one. Um, normalizing feels more like being aligned with what has ever ha like happened in the past. That feels very SI, introverted sensing to me. Um, and the creative stuff. Anyway, so those are the four subtypes for the Myers-Briggs. But getting back to the Enneagram, the stack. So from my stack, I've come to accept as an eight, I'm social self-preservation and sexual. And this more so yesterday I was walking and I do a lot of, I've spent a lot of time exploring my, really interrogating my subtype as an eight. I've spent a lot of time interrogating how I look like a five at times and how I can look like a one. Even the eight and one are both in this anger cluster, the, the Enneagram. Those nine types are divided across nine types of emotions. So the eight and one are in the anger cluster. So I've tested, when I've tested on repeat, I've come up as either an eight, one, or a five. So I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Like, why am I testing in these three ways? And two of the numbers are in the anger cluster. So I think we can just safely say that I live there <laughs> in the anger cluster. So out of all of that, I've settled on being 
an eight that has a a connection to the five. So in the another thing about the Enneagram, it's a very robust personality system. So those of you who are into the Myers-Briggs and not into the Enneagram, I might be losing you here, but I'm, I'm getting into the weeds for a reason. Okay. So another part of the Enneagram, so I've talked about the instinctual stack. I've talked about the emotion of it all. And then there's this growth plan. There's a growth line. There's a growth chart, if you will. That's, this is another beautiful thing about the Enneagram that those numbers connect to each other. They're not isolated. So in the Myers-Briggs, an INTJ is an INTJ. But in the Enneagram, an eight is connected to the five and the two. It's also connected to the nine and the one because the eight, nine, and one are in the anger, anger cluster. But outside of that, the growth chart of, a, of, of an eight is the eight, um, the eight moves towards the two when the eight is in its healthiest state, its fullest self. It embodies, it picks up traits of the two. And when it's in its lower self or disintegrated self, it gravitates to the five. Now, according to Beatrice Chestnut, that's the person I follow with the Enneagram, she doesn't take that disintegration as negative. She says that we need to move about that line, that growth line. There are things that we actually need from disintegration. Like when we're stressed, like if an eight is stressed and the eight goes to the five, there's something in the five that the eight needs. So that's not all bad. So I don't, maybe I shouldn't say the lower self. Because to say the lower self means unhealthy. There's nothing unhealthy about going to the five for an eight. It's unhealthy if you stay there. And you camp out there. And there's a reason this is all relevant. Likewise, to, and this is something that I was reading this morning, to go for the eight to go towards that two, we're not twos. To live as a two, if you're an eight, would be problematic as well. Sure, there are things in the two that we need. Go out, go, go up, go expand yourself to try to embrace some of those, those two traits. That's fine. But if you try to embody and act like a two when you're an eight, that's a problem. Okay. So one of the things that I have theorized for myself, and again, I'm not, this is not my area of expertise, but I've spent a lot of time meditating on it, processing and reading and learning and studying, is I believe I am a social eight. Although I told you that my heart coach feels that there's a strong self-preservation part of me, which there is. And sometimes I can go, mm, no, that self-preservation trumps the social, but I don't think so. But I think it, it, I have a strong self-preservation side in me. Okay. And I think that's because ultimately I'm an introvert. I think that, I think it looks like that. I think the self-preservation becomes more pronounced simply because I'm an INTJ. And so when you pair that INTJ with the eight, it just gives me a higher, you know, gives me exposure to that self-preservation orientation, if you will. Okay. All right, let me keep going. So, because I feel like I'm I'm getting into the pocket of what I want to talk about. 45 minutes in. <laughs> I'm finally getting there. But I'm, I'm, I have some work to do. I'm not in the pocket yet, but I'm getting close. 
So yesterday, so, oh, so I'm a social aide. And then I, I would say in the last couple of years, I'm like, oh, you're not just a social aide. When you look at your integration or your disintegration to when you are, you disintegrate to the five, who are you as a five? And that social five is so me. There's so much of that social five that's me that I'm like, oh, am I really a five? Like, no wonder I tested as a five. Because that social five is me. And the social eight is really, really me. And I studied the social one. Purely because I've tested as an eight, five, and one. You guys have heard me say this. I've said it several times. But yesterday when I was walking my dogs, I realized I never studied the social two. Because the eight, five, two, there that's the line. That's the progression. Or that's the growth plan. The growth line. I don't know what it's called. So if I understand me as an eight, a social eight, if I disintegrate to the five, I understand the social five. And when I was walking my dogs yesterday, I said, you've never studied the social two, even though you acknowledge that to be a, a healthy, well-grounded, self-actualized eight, you need to go towards the two. So this morning, that's what I did. I started reading about that social two, and I'm like, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that I can grab onto. And they go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now there are a couple there were a couple of exceptions in the literature as I was reading, but most of most of that I was like, Ooh, that's me. That's me. That's me too. <laughs> I would imagine and I suspect that that's me in certain situations. I believe I'm a social two in situations. I'm gonna I'm gonna knock I'm gonna bring it all together. Okay. This is all coming together. I'm starting to feel a little better. I feel a lot, I would feel a lot more better once I land it, once I can just really land it and tie a bow on it. And I'm not there yet. So let me, let me keep talking. And I would love to go and read some of that social too, but I feel like that will take me off course. So anyway, um, Yeah, there's so much happening in my head right now. So that's the social too. So anyway, so I think it's pretty safe to say that there's a strong social part of me. Where does that come from? Where does that, so I can see, I, I definitely see myself as a social eight. I see myself as a social five and I see myself as a social two. Now, from what I Remember, and I don't know where I've read this. I think, I think there was somebody I read that tried to make an argument that the Enneagram should first be based on the instincts and then go to the number. So like it would be me saying, I'm social first. And because I'm social first, let me see how I'm a social eight. Let me see how I'm a social five. Let me see how I'm a social four. Let me see how I'm a social three, right? And as a social, I would go and look at all of those numbers that the social, the instinct is the primary part of us. I read somewhere. And then I believe, I don't want to misrepresent her, but I believe I heard Dr. Chestnut said that's not how it works. 
You don't start with the instinct. You start with the number and then you go to the, to the instinct. But let's entertain that. I do see myself as a social in all three of those numbers. Now, what I'm probably going to do at some point is read all the other numbers, the socials, to see how I connect to the social as a three, a four, a five, a six, a seven, and a nine, just to see if there's a pattern, uh, if there truly is a, a pattern that's connected to the social with all nine of those numbers. But for now, I can say for a fact, that those three in my line of progression, five, eight, two, two, eight, five, with eight being my center spot, is social. I can say that. I'm really confident about that. But if we stay here and we think about the instinct to be social first. So basically what this is saying about me is that my instinct is to be social first and to be self-preservation second. Let's, let's align that social to the collective self, self-preservation to the individual self, right? I don't know what that means for the sexual instinct. I truly don't know what that means. I think the sexual in- instinct is probably a marriage between the two. Because that sexual instinct is pretty much a beast. But even though I do see, I can see the sexual eight in me. I don't see the sexual five. And I do not see the sexual two. And that's how I was able to feel pretty secure about being an eight. Because when I look at those three subtypes, the the social eight, the self-preservation eight, and the sexual eight, I can see myself in all three of those Eights, not in the five, not in the two, not in the one. In those other numbers, I only see me as a social. All right. Well, that's not completely true. I see a little self-preservation five and a little self-preservation two. A little bit, but not a lot. Not a lot bit. All right. Anyway, that's I'm getting lost in the weeds. Okay. I actually think I've hit the end of the reflection. I just had to hit the pause button because I'm like, where do you want to go next in this reflection? And I think this is the end. This is the bottom line. I think that I am straddling two selves. The social self and the individual self. And we all do. I think that I am not privileging one as much as I should over another. And so it's almost like I'm trying to hold them up to be of equal value. And that's causing consternation. It's causing conflict. It's causing confusion. All C words, interesting. And I think that if I was a little bit more of one and a little bit less of the other, it would make it easy when two things come up in competition, competition with each other as a contest I can go, yeah, I can see why these are side by side, but I choose that one. But because the my two home bases, the, the two cultures that I'm a part of are strong, I'm struggling. And what just hit me? Something just hit me as I said that. What hit me in my head as I was saying that is this. I don't know how much value it has, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say out loud what just happened in my head as I was talking. What hit me as I was talking was that I'm actually 
the individual's, I privilege the individual self more than the social self. But my culture that I was born into tells me that I shouldn't. Tells me that I should privilege the social self first. And so then I start trying to make it work. Trying to contend with it. I don't know. I don't know if it's that simple. I don't know if it's as simple as me saying, I'm really, I really privilege the individual self more than the social self. And I'm only challenged because I have such a strong uh, culture of origin that is challenging me. And And that might be true. Or it might be true that they're equal. Or it might be true that I am an introvert. I'm an INTJ in a coach, in a collectivist culture, and that doesn't fit for me. And so I gravitate towards the individual that I am personally choosing to prioritize the individual self because I'm an INTJ. I don't know. I don't know if you guys are into this type theory like I am and you have more knowledge, I would definitely love to hear your opinion about this because I don't know. But I do think it's what's causing the confusion. So let me give some practical applications of this and then I'll, I guess I'll start trying to close and forget those verbs, right? Those verbs that I had on a piece of paper. Or maybe I should try to entertain those verbs to see if they have any relevance. So yesterday, I um, let me give a, a couple of scenarios it's, it's from this week to make this concrete. So yesterday, I I guess I had a date. I should say I guess. I guess it was a date. I'm having a hard time saying it was a date because I'm not willing to. I I'm not ready to say. I'm not ready to say it was a date. I think it could have been a date. It probably was a date, but I needed to just see. So I met somebody online. This individual and I have had conversations for about almost a month now. And what's been striking about it is that on on the surface, it would look like there's a real connection. Because we could talk up to two times a day. Daily. And I don't talk to somebody. There's no one that I talk to daily other than my family. And I don't even talk to them daily. You know, I can go in pockets of talking to them daily. So when I start talking to somebody daily, that means we got a connection, right? And this could be romantic. It's an intimate connection. Because there's no other need. There's no other need to talk to somebody every day unless it's for an intimate connection. So this individual, as we talk, and I would say the individual does more of the calling, but that's fine. So I'm like, and the individual's an introvert. And so I had to say a couple of weeks ago, yo, where's this going? You know what I mean? Like, are we going to meet in person? Because I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting to know you as a, as a voice, as a, as a, as a stream of consciousness. And I don't get to know 
you in the physical. Mm-mm. And I'm not talking about physical, sexual. So anyway, so the individual was like, well, we can go to dinner. I was like, nah, I don't want to be committed to a dinner. <laughs> I don't want to be trapped in a dinner. Um, I don't know. So let's do coffee. So we went and met for coffee. The individual had tea. It's fine. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> it is somebody. One day I need to do an analysis of when I'm saying it's fine because it's usually something missing there. It's uh, me intellectually saying it's fine. <laughs> something emotionally is missing or off. So I think we were together about 90 minutes. We start off with inside and then we went and did some walking. And there was a part of me at the end of the walk that was like, hey, you want to go get lunch? There was a part of me that wanted to do that. And then I, but I said, "Mm -mm, interrogate that. Why do you really want to go have lunch with this individual? Is this really, are you really stimulated? Are you really connecting? Are you really, what is that about? And so I told myself, don't, don't suggest lunch. Take your butt and go in process. Okay. So after the walk, it was nice meeting you. Goodbye. Bye. I wasn't ready to go home yet. So I went to a local pub. I didn't have an adult beverage. I could have. And that's not, it's just, but I wanted to say that. But I went to a local pub and I was like, oh, they have some good soup. So I ordered soup and a lemonade because <laughs> y'all know I love my adult beverages, but I was like, I had some soup and, and some lemonade and at the bar was somebody I worked with a few years ago and we did not get along. Like on the surface, we got along because there is, uh, we both are into talking about race. Like we both talk about race in a way that's almost agreeable almost yet this person says really stupid things about gender and sexuality so you and I can vibe talking about race and racism but I also talk about sexism and heterosexism and ableism and ageism like all the isms I'm not stuck on one ism and this individual was. So I was like, oh, all I wanted to do is have a little bit of headspace. Like I wanted to process that date, not a date. I needed to process that. I went to, to have some food, some lemonade, and then this other person, this kind of like nemesis that I've, that, that has been on, I've heard that the grapevine has spoken ill about me from two people. Actually, three, if you count students. But I try not to count let, let students inform my thinking, right? Okay, anyway. So I shoot I shoot the breeze. I shoot, excuse the language, but I shoot the shit because that's exactly what it was. I'm, um, this is all performance, performance art. We're talking back and forth. And, 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 and he was with an, uh, uh, another person. I don't, I don't, I didn't know this individual, but she's a teacher. So I'm like, oh, these are educators. They're black. I'm craving that cultural connection. That is truthfully 
It's really what I'm craving. I'm missing out on that. I live in a white neighborhood. I work in a white space. When I was going to church, I was going to a church where I'm just surrounded by whiteness. I'm craving the cultural connection. So I'm like, okay, all right. We're not going to be able to process this date. Let's just, let's talk to these people. Even though this guy and you didn't hit, y'all, y'all rubbed each other the wrong way. We just, the universe has brought us together today. Let's just enjoy it. And he was trying to be polite. He knew, he knew, he knew that he was not on my radar as somebody that I thought was enjoyable. So you could see him being really delicate. And I was trying to, we were both trying and you could see the bartender because the bartender knows me. You could just, you could see the bartender watching me like, well, this is a different side of you. I've never seen this side of you. No, you have it, sir. No, no, you have it because the bar is white too. (laughs) So no, you haven't seen this culture. You've not seen the cultural side of me. So it was nice. The part being able to do the cultural part was nice, but I noticed that the more cultural it, it, it got for me, the more quiet I was, the more removed I was. As an observer, I was an observer. I was observer in that conversation more than I was a participant. Yet, I can also say that that was a cultural connection. What does that mean? What does that mean for me? That in order for me to do the collective self, the collective self, the cultural self, I've got to be withdrawn. What is that? I don't have an answer, but that's what struck me. That's an example of what I'm talking about. I watched myself. Not as I watched myself connecting culturally, like in, completely enjoying the cultural connections, but I wasn't participating. I was participating as an observer. That's fascinating to me. To me, that means something. I'm going to tell you another situation. Oh, the other situation with the person I was out with. I I enjoyed the cultural connection because the individual was black. And the conversation was okay. The conversation was okay. Wasn't offensive. Definitely didn't get into isms. Right? But it wasn't stimulating. It wasn't like, oh my God, I need more of this. It was not that at all. Okay, let's move on. I'm going to go to my heart coach. Now, the other two people I've been talking about have been black. I'm going to go to my heart coach. My heart coach is white. And we, we, I feel every, every time I feel like we get out of the bubble, we go back into it. I'm pretty much done. I'm pretty much done with that type of a business arrangement that I have with her. So we're going to, I'm going to try to figure out that's what I'm going to process now is do I need to be done with this coach completely? Or I need to be done with this coach in terms of how we've been engaging, but there's going to, there's an end. There's a, some type of end that I have to embrace with this relationship. So I'm processing that. I can't get more into it, but what I'm, one, the, what we're struggling with is here. This is what I think we're struggling. My heart coach doesn't really understand what it's like to have two selves to contend with. The collective self 
and the individual self. And what, and I'm really going to try to start closing here because what I'm trying to do more of is I'm trying to lean more into my individual self. I'm trying to lean more into my individual self and I'm trying to have cultural connections. I'm trying to find people that I can be my individual self and still have the cultural and still be my cultural self. Or not, I don't want to say cultural self because I think my individual self is partially my cultural self. But my individual self is not having those cult, those those cultural c- connections. Okay, I'm I'm confused. My individual self is not my collective self. The collective self demands me to be something that I don't want to be. And for most of my life, I was a product or a servant to the collective self that the world told me I needed to be. And I've been working really, really hard to be the self that I want to be. So the collective self, I think that's where you get a lot of the eight from. I have to be a protector, a fighter. I don't know. Scratch that. I'm in territory. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't know. I'm going to have to spend some time with it because there's another part of me that, that says, did I fight because people wanted me to do the fighting or did I, was I fighting because I was fighting for my individual self? That's why I fought. And that, The fight was about trying to get me to be more into the collective self. And me saying, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. So I don't know. I don't know. My hunch is telling me that there's been an individual side of me that I have been either repressing or fighting for. That feels more authentic. And that now at this stage, at 52 and a half, I just passed the halfway mark. At 52 and a half, that I'm saying, I'm not playing. I don't want to play anymore. I just need to accept the me that I want to be. And that's the individual me. Now, as the individual me, that doesn't mean I'm not social. What it means, though, is that I have to find a social world that allows me and affirms me as the individual me. My heart coach is struggling with that concept. Because my heart coach, I believe as an FE user, extroverted feeling, is more prone to the social world. So when she gives me feedback, she's giving me feedback based on what the social world is expecting. And not, she's not able to stand side by side with me in the fact that I am trying to disrupt that. So this is, this is where it boils down to as an authentic me. Here's the question. And I'm asking myself this question out loud for you all to witness. If you're still listening, who knows? <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to push on. And so somebody's listening. Um, you guys, I have 
pause this recording um, for about five minutes, if not more, because I found myself getting a little confused. And it's probably not going to be, I'm not going to get clarity in this reflection, but I'm not going to delete this reflection. I'm going to push it out there because I think, I think I'm on the right track. I just don't think I'm at a place of resolution. But here's the question that's coming up for me since I've been paused. Is the social me the collective me? That's one question. Is the social me collective the collective me? I don't think it is. I think that that's separate. I think the social me, the social me values the collective that I'm a part of, the collectives that I'm a part of, values those collectives, celebrates those collectives, wanting to protect those collectives, feed into those collectives, be of value in those collectives. But I don't want to be the collective self. And I need to spend some time thinking about that. Like, what is it that I'm trying to run from or run into? And so the eight is considered to be antisocial. The eight personality type is an antisocial personality type, as is an INTJ. You don't hear INTJs framed like that, but when you look at INTJs in social settings, they're antisocial. What I'm suspecting is that I'm an antisocial with some social tendencies because of my culture, because I was raised to value the collective. I was raised to fight for the collective. I was raised to be aware of the collective. So I think you have that, how I've been socialized for the collective, all while still being an individual. So that's my brand of social. Yet, there are things about the social world that I don't align myself to. I'm an antisocial. So I don't do hierarchies. I don't do them. I will, I can, when they benefit me for the work that I want to do for justice, and that's only for justice. But for the most part, I'm trying to lean out of hierarchies. I don't do materialism. I've talked about that. In the world I come from, there's a lot of materialism. Even though we don't, even if the collective doesn't have the money, it's striving to have material accolades, accomplishments to validate the self. So it's really about fighting oppression, right? I don't want to get into oppression, but that's really where a lot of that materialism comes from. So I'm not doing those things. And the collective wants me to. The collective wants me to get into the space of the hierarchy where the collective has designated me. The collective wants me to value the hierarchy. The collective wants me to go after the things that's going to make the collective look good, 
right? The title, the position, the possessions. And I've done a lot of that. So am I an achiever? Am I, cause I'm an achiever. Am I, am I an achiever because the collective has dictated me to be an achiever or am I an achiever because individually I want to be an achiever? And maybe it's both. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be processing it. And then I went through a, a little short window where I'm like, I'm not achieving anymore. I don't need to achieve another thing. I'm already good. And I, I needed to go through that phase. I needed to prove to myself that I'm all right. I don't have to keep trying to strive and strive and strive to have a sense of self-worth. I already am. I'm good enough. The flip side of that, though, the downside of that is that I enjoy achieving. I love creating. I love innovating. I love improving. I love, you know what I mean? I love doing those things. And so I'm not going to not do them. I'm not to just because I'm trying to prove I'm trying to disrupt my, my, my social orientation. I'm not going to do that. But now as I achieve, I achieve for me based on my values. But when I thought about yesterday, when I was with the, um, when I was at the bar with my soup and my lemonade and they asked me the, the, my comrades, my cultural comrades asked me, so what are you doing now? They wanted to know professionally. I'm still struggling with that. Because I'd rather show you, because I'm in the process of building my next great thing. And, 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 and my sister, Nick, called it out this week. She said, you're like the stars, like people who are these big name people. You, people don't know all the work that they do behind the scenes until they come out. And then when they come out, they're like, bam, look at, look what I got. Look what I did. And then people are like, when did you do that? I've been doing it. I get up in the morning. I get up every day at one or two o'clock in the morning and I'm doing those things. That's how I write the books. You know, when I'm writing a book, I'm not always talking about what I've written until I get to like, I got a book. My mother said recently, when are you doing these things? I'm doing them. I'm just not talking about it. I'm not talking about it. So when I'm asked, so what are you doing now? Occupationally? Well, you all know I'm launching a business. But it's not a business that is familiar. So I can't say I'm starting a franchise. I can't say that I'm building the business that I'm launching. I'm building a business. I'm launching a business and I'm designing it. And there is no familiar hanger. So I stumble when people ask me, what do you do? So I'm like, okay, I got to practice. I got to come up with something to say. I got to write it down and practice. What am I going to say? And then there was a part of me that felt the pressure. I felt it. I felt it. You got to say something big. That's what's expected of you. But I don't know fully if that something big is exclusively about my socialization. It could it could be because I'm an eight, but then my eight is because of my socialization. I don't know. And maybe this line that I'm trying to divide between the individual self and the collective self, maybe that's that's not something I'm able to do. Maybe there is no line. Maybe there is no delineation between the individual and the collective stuff. I need to, I need to think about it. I don't know. But I can tell you for this reflection, it felt good to separate the two. And one of the things I thought about when I was at the, at that bar and I was talking to the comrades and I was thinking about, I was slightly thinking about 
how uninterested I was in the conversation. Although it was culturally feeding me, I wasn't stimulated there. That's the same thing with that date. It was okay. It was great, a great cultural connection, but I wasn't stimulated. I wasn't. What stimulates me? Novelty. Learning. And not learning to be reductive where you have people who talk at you and they think they're teaching you something, but you're not teaching me anything for growth. I'm not moving. That's not the growth I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do something different, unimaginable, unattainable. So that's both the big eight in me and that's the, that's the five, the social five, because that social five is, is a totem person. It's trying to be at the high level, right? So whether I'm high level social five or I'm big as a, as a social eight, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that kind of stimulation. I'm looking for that kind of pleasure. And so I'm able to satisfy that, that need. Like I did an episode about a year ago where I talked about passion, desire, and I was just saying I'm unmotivated. I really was. Well, I've got that part down. I got, I'm back stimulated with my work. And I think some of that is related to grief. Like, like I've, I'm grieving still. I'm, you know, I'm going through this with a family member now, but I'm still grieving the loss of my dad, the loss of my aunt, the loss of my stepfather, the loss of my grandmother. Like those are a lot of family losses in a family and it's restructured the family. So in a, in a sense, I've lost my family because it's not the same. And I think I'm still grieving. I have a, a piece of paper um, in one of my hallways where I wrote up grieve and release because what, what once was is no more. You got to get over it. I had to write that down. I wrote that on, put that on a wall over a year ago. And in some ways it looks like I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, I'm, I'm excited about imagining. I, there was a moment in the grief where I couldn't even, and I talked about this last year. I couldn't even see tomorrow. I'm a planner. I'm a long range planner, a long range thinker. I imagine I couldn't do any of that. All I could do is the day to day and try to find some kind of joy in doing the day to day. And right towards December, the end of December last year, I was like, oh, I'm, I would, I, I talked about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see the future. I now have a desire. There's motivation. There's passion for the future to only come back the next month to be hit with another pending. Just, I don't want to call it a loss because I'm, you know, we're all fighting. We're all praying and hoping. Oh. It's just, uh, it just sucks. But I'm happy. I'm happy. I feel really good that I am doing the business. I feel good about it. Is it perfect? No. Are there bumps? Yes. But when people ask me how it's going, I'm like, it's going according to the plan. Because I know to work for yourself is not easy. <laughs> it's not. But I'm working for myself. And all of those bumps that I have to problem solve, I'm problem solving it. It's beautiful. And yet there's a social part of me that I am not able to figure out. I'm unmotivated. I'm meeting people. I'm not interested in them. 
I'm not. And I'm going through the process of hanging out with them because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm so uninterested. It's boring. So I'm trying to figure out, listen, if it is to be, it's up to me. That's a proverb I believe in. If it is to be, it's up to me. I'm going to have to figure it out. What would it take for me to be socially stimulated, to be socially interested? I have no idea. But I know this as I close. It must be based on the individual me. Because the collective me is not going to, it doesn't exist anymore. I don't, I've been really, really working hard to disentangle myself from that. Once I found out, like, I don't believe that. I don't hold those values. So I don't have a bow on it and I don't want to keep talking, um, because I think I need to end this reflection and meditate on it. Um, but I will, I will say, I'm going to end with these six words, relaxing, accepting, calibrating, discovering, and acting. And the relaxing and accepting part of it, those, those six verbs, the first two, relaxing and accepting, is about accepting the individual me. And probably needs to, I need to write it down. And then there's some calibrating that I need to do because I'm functioning, I'm functioning according to a different map. Because the map that I'm doing now in terms of being self-employed is significantly different from the world, the people around me. So I'm now doing that and trying to accept the me in this new lifestyle. So there's some calibrating that I have to do. And I think that the last cluster is discovering and acting. I need to discover what is really going to, there's a social me. Like, I'm struggling here. There is a social me that was satisfied with the collective me, but I'm rejecting the collective me. So I now need to go and find a new collective to be a part of because the social me needs it. The social me needs a new collective because I'm not all individual. So do you hear what I'm saying? Does that sound like a contradiction? There's an individual me that I need to accept. And then there's a social need me that I need to nurture. And I need to give her a new home. And that's all I got. That's all I have for today. But um, I need to sit with that. So that's all I have. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If my moving about in this reflection... Um, no, 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 no. What did I say? Nope, no, 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 no. If this conversation about the, the, the individual self, the collective self, the being stimulated, the social self, 
right? Because I think there are three selves I'm talking about, the individual, the social, and the collective, even though I don't think I did a really good job of delineating that. But if any of that relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at urinidom.wordpress.com, Twitter, urinidom1, Facebook, and YouTube, urinidom. Let me give you your assignment. I'm going to talk to you all as though you're nonconformists. At the start of every episode, I say this podcast is for people who are looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. In order to have impact in the world, you need to be able to give the world something that it doesn't already have. You need to give it something different. That means there needs to be something about you that's different. What do you do with that different part of you? If you are truly out there trying to have impact in the world, giving the world something different, what do you do with that part of you when it's not working to do impact? When you're not impacting, what are you doing? Who do you allow to impact you? Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the bow I'm looking for. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Because I'm very clear on the impact I want to have in the world. And I'm okay with the concept of being impacted. I am. But I'm not going to just let any old thing impact me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. I'm about impact and change. You understand? So I don't want to be reductive. I don't want to go back in time. Here's, let's talk about the subtypes for the INTJ. Don't normalize me. I don't want to be normalized. I don't even think I need to be dominant. I think dominance is survival for me. I'm dominant because I'm making sure I keep myself clean and on track because I think the world, if the world had it, it's had its way, I would be reduced to being a function of the collective and it would not benefit me as an individual. So my question to you is what do you do with that part of you that's unique and of value And the world needs you to share it. The world needs you to share it. The world needs you to fight for it. What do you do when you're not fighting? What do you do when you're not sharing? What do you do with that side of yourself? Do you have a community of people that can nurture that side of you, affirm that side of you, love on that side of you? Or do you regress? Because that's what I'm dealing with like do I need to regress back to a five and just go off into a hole somewhere I don't want to do that I don't want to regress to a five not even a social five but in order to do this social with people it's got to be more than about normalizing it's got to be more than about maintaining the status quo and it's got to be more than about Preserving the collective in historical ways. I'm fine for fighting for the collective. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) What I'm not going to do 
is do it in a way that's reductive. My work with the collective is about moving it forward, not going back, not maintaining. So what is it? What's your line? You know, I think I'm asking you a couple of things. I'm asking you, first of all, what do you do with that side of you that's about impact and change? And I think the other question is about what do you do with the social part of you when you're not impacting and causing change? And I think the third question for me, if it's not for you, is what is that? What is the play you? I think there's a play part of me that I haven't really talked about. The stimulation. What is the stimulated you need? The stimulated. What is what stimulation do you need? I don't know. I'm sorry, you guys. Usually my assignments are really clear, but I think it's hard for me to give you a clear assignment because I'm not clear myself. But it is what it is, you guys. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.